and welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Have you ever tried to pull back the curtain on your internal machinery? Everyone has wondered about the nature of reality at some point, but fewer people have wondered about the nature of themselves and how they relate to what we assume is physically out there. And that is an assumption. As it turns out, there are numerous possibilities with consequences that can make us question everything, even our own existence. All right, so last week we talked about dreams, and um, that led us to some really weird places where we were talking about, um, you know, things like, you know, our our whole idea of um, the universe being a dream of an advanced alien civilization and stuff. And I know there were some listeners out there that were like, okay, well, that's a cool kind of thought experiment or daydream or whatever, but, you know, that's not something that could really be possible. Um, And then I sent you an article early this week um, talking about how scientists are thinking, well, maybe the universe is just this whole thing that's kind of self-simulating itself, or maybe there are aliens that are simulating us and stuff. So, you know, these people are are philosophers in some some regard um but they're also you know the top minds in physics and other scientific fields um so they're not people that are just sort of prognosticating on a on philosophy podcast somewhere these are people with actual knowledge about how the universe works saying um yeah we really could be a simulation of an advanced species or Maybe there is an advanced species. Maybe the universe is just kind of simulating itself into existence. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's something that's kind of hard to chew on. And um, it doesn't really make sense if you don't examine um, your own relationship to the outside world. So that's what we're going to do today is talk about the mind-body problem. Um, and basically, you know, how this physical stuff that we're made out of how that relates to our own internal um experience of what being alive means (laughs) (laughs) so this is going to take us to some really weird places and i think i have a grand total of like two questions on my sheet because i know that just looking at those things is going to take up the whole episode. So yeah, yeah, it will. Um, so why don't you explain to us really quick what the mind-body problem is? Okay, so everyone I think has heard of Descartes, uh, René Descartes, um, who uh, really substantively developed the idea of of dualism. The mind being one thing, the body being the other, and and wrapped up in all of that is uh, the question of mental phenomenon, phenomena, um, non-physical things such as the mind being uh, uh, distinct from the body, and and how can it be that uh, the mind can make the body do something. It's more complicated than that, but that's really the essence of it. And so caught up in that is the things like subject, um, object. Um, I, I'm a subject. I see an object. I, I, I decide to pick it up. Well, how did my mind make my body do that? 
Yeah, and that's that's really weird. Everybody can do this experiment where you just look at your hand and you open it and close it and you go, Well, how does that really work? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. You can look you can look at a car, you know, and, and figure out, okay, well, this gear is driving this shaft and that shaft is turning this wheel and have some understanding of it. And on the scientific level, you can look at it and say, okay, well, there's an electrical current running from my brain down my spine through this nerve, and that's, you know, twitching these muscles that are connected to these tendons that are connected to bones, and it's moving. But that doesn't describe the experience of opening and closing your hand. You yeah. know, that gives, you know, it's it's something different, you know? Yeah. Um, so we're going to, I think... The way, the best way to look at this is going just section by section, breaking down the different philosophical approaches. And then at the end, we'll try to tie together what it means for reality. So you already mentioned the one major camp, um, the one major school of thought, which is dualism, um, which is, you know, primarily, um, you know, espoused by Descartes. There's also monism, right? Which says that. There isn't, the mind isn't a separate thing from the body. The mind derives from the body, which seems kind of like an intuitive thing. You'd think, okay, well, my brain's in my body. It's made out of physical stuff. So, yeah, and, you know, my mind is, is physical, right? Right, right. But it's not really that clear cut. So we have monism and dualism, um, and we've made the basic distinctions between those, but there's all these different flavors in between so um we'll look at dualism first so um okay you mind going over substance dualism well so what what we're talking about here is the idea uh that going to descartes again um descartes essentially said that that uh intelligence is part of the brain. In other words, part of the physical apparatus. But that consciousness is non-physical. So so substance dualism talks about that which can be touched, seen, observed, the empirical stuff. And and the idea is uh, that that mental uh, mental activity can exist outside the body, and the body itself doesn't think. Okay, so um, it, would it be oversimplifying it to say that Descartes' position is kind of that the mind is the soul, kind of? Yes. Yeah, guys. So, all right, so it's kind of this um, immortal soul sort of thing where, you know, okay, there's, you have the body and and the mind, and that that does the controlling of the physical aspect, but there's this other part that is separate from the body and the mind. Right, so when you die, when you die, your your soul moves on. And that's you, your consciousness, all of that, all of those other things. Apparently. So that's substance dualism. Then there's property dualism. And property dualism, um, um, says that uh, you uh, the mind uh, is is different than the physical human, but totally anchored in the physical human. So that when the human dies, the mind 
the soul is done. Okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to think. The, um, so, property dualism says your mind, you know, your soul is separate from your body, but when your body dies, that you, that dies with you. Well, it's not, yeah, it's not entirely, it's not entirely separate. Property dualism uh, suggests that there are two, there are two th things, but that they are, that they are linked. Okay. Um, so there are mental properties, there are physical properties, but those things are inextricably bound up, even though they're discernibly different from each other. That's property dualism. Um, okay. Now we may so, be going too deep for with this for what we're trying to talk about. I don't know. All right. So um, those are kind of the two big schools of dualism. In monism, we have uh, uh, quite a few more flavors. And one thing that we'll see is that some of them kind of bleed back into dualism. Um, I'm especially thinking of neutral monism here. Um, neutral monism and, and property dualism, I am not entirely sure what the distinct difference between they're them really, is. They're really, I think for the purposes of what we're, we're talking about, they're, they're very close. But uh, the, the difference is uh, there's a coexistence that is inseparable uh, from monism. Uh, and the soul moves on anyway so in in uh, in, in monism which is uh, part of arguably part of uh, religious systems um that the mind and body cannot be extricated from one another um mm. property dualism uh, suggests that that there is a, a difference between mind and body, but they are still linked. And it's a more mechanistic notion so that when the machine stops, the lights go out, basically. Uh, and, and so there is nothing past that. Um, monism says when the machine stops, the soul uh, still moves on. Because the soul and the body are part of one another, and and I suppose, although I'm treading into difficult ground here in saying this, I suppose those who believe in such things as the rapturing of the body, uh, in evangelical uh, terms, would probably find themselves in a modest kind of camp. Yeah, because that it. It gets sort of complicated, right? Because it depends oh, yeah. on what you know. If you're, if it's a religious thing, it depends sort of on your theology, whether or not you're a monist or dualist. Because Descartes was was a Christian philosopher, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So his idea of dualism was: okay, my body might die, but my soul goes on. So he was dualist, but he was he was a Christian um, philosopher. Whereas a monist Christian philosopher would believe. My body dies, but my body will be re resurrected with my soul because they're one thing. Yes. So being a yeah. monster or a dualist doesn't necessarily dictate your theological views. It just dictates sort of the semantics of whether your physical body is going to be um, resurrected into the afterlife or not. Or so, yeah, or whatever that whatever that might mean. Yeah, right. So, um, 
Now, there is a very uh, a strong form of monism that says there is nothing but the, the body and, and the idea of consciousness is all the mechanics of the body. Uh, these uh, and so there. Um, oh, who are some of the most famous? Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, <clears throat> um, Daniel Dennett, um, of these kind of folks um, would uh, would posit that you know they, this is when you look at uh, the mind, you can see the mind. The, well, you can see the brain working on the MRI machines, right, or the, uh, the various technologies and. And so you can see when emotions happen, those kind of things. The, the next step beyond that is that, that there's, there's no soul, there's no uh, abstracted um, anything independent of the physicality. The machine is the machine. The machine is what creates the ghost in the machine uh, to uh, essentially keep the machine company or running. And, and so it's, uh, that kind of monism would say it's all just the substance. Right. So the idea of monism or dualism um, goes beyond religious or theological yeah. thought. Um, you know, yeah. you, you can be a monist or a dualist and be a religious person, but you could also, you know, it, even if you're an, an agnostic or atheistic person, um, I, you know, you uh, most of them are going to tend towards monism. Can you be a dualist and, and be an atheist, do you think? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I do because if your dualism, because remember that Descartes, as well as you know, beyond him, Leibniz, who was working with the Christian view and on this, and many, many others. Uh, but you can say that there's consciousness that's somehow independent of the body. Um, when the body dies, perhaps the consciousness enters something else but but that doesn't necessarily mean that you believe there's a particular systemic uh religious structure that it goes to yeah uh, man, the ghost the ghost moves on right and i've been reading just a ton of interesting um studies on this this exact same um idea recently and and the one that's sticking out in my mind is um they're trying to formulate a new theory it's kind of a, a grand unifying theory. And what they're, they're thinking is, you know, a big problem with classical physics has been, you know, this wave versus particle type yes, duality. Yeah. <laughs> and so now they're starting to, starting to speculate that maybe the fundamental elements of reality are, are actually shards of energy, pieces of energy, you know. And I, in one of the articles I was reading, they alluded to the fact that, well, maybe, you know, you know, if everything's made up of pieces of energy, maybe when you die, your consciousness, those, the, the pieces of energy that make up your consciousness kind of flow back into the universe. So I guess that would sort of be a, a an atheistic or agnostic dualism, if you, if you think of it that way. Um, yeah. You're not, yeah. your physical body's dying, but then your, <clears throat> your consciousness or your, your mind um, is sort of reuniting with the universe in some way. Right, which and and yes, and 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 that that could be atheistic in the sense that you say that the universe is somehow sentient, but that doesn't mean it's God, and it all and it also doesn't mean that if um, you're merging with the universe that that you are somehow going to end into uh, end up with a re-emergence of uh, 
into another body, another time, you know, or or that you're going to go through some kind of punitive stations uh, through which your soul is cleansed so you can be worthy of something. It, it, it doesn't imply any of those things. Yeah, and that's kind of the, um, that's sort of the interesting trend I'm, I'm seeing in, you know, this sort of um, physics and metaphysics research is that, you know, a few years ago, it, it was all about sort of being in an alien simulation or, um, you know, some sort of external conscious influence creating the universe, that sort of thing. The shift I'm kind of seeing right now is more towards a self-simulation or just, you know, a, a dissolving into an, an energy field or yeah. even sort yeah. of a big bounce thing where, no, there really never was any kind of beginning that was set in motion by some sort of creator. There's it's always been there. It's this looping thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in your mind, is that kind of a turtles all the way down argument, or do you think <laughs> that there's something to that? Well, you know, my mind is not large enough, despite the fact that I study and, and read to say anything of certitude. But it, it doesn't, while boggling, and while um, in one of the articles we read, um, uh, I was talking about William James using the term ineffable. Uh, which is a lovely, beautiful word, and that ineffable means things can't be put into words. And so that sort of connects with other podcasts we've done. So to say something has always existed means that there wasn't a beginning, and that's itself boggling, but I don't find it so boggling as to be unacceptable. Yeah, no, based off of the conversations we've had in the past, nothing yeah. about that seems strange, because... No. Time is one of the weirdest things that we've talked about, and we're still kind of undetermined whether or not it's purely a human construct, just something that we have to make sense of reality, but not yeah. something that's actually part of what's happening. So if, if it's the, the former, you know, if we're just experiencing time in order for, you know, our, our, our brains, our electrical systems to make sense of what's going on. Yeah. Um, then the fact that there's no beginning or no end really wouldn't be that big of a jump. Well, no, it wouldn't. And and built into some even some religious systems, the idea of omniscience that everything is known. Well, if everything's known, what it's it's all present all at the same time, and which is. Uh, what some who are agnostic or atheistic would say, okay, so as you say, we're experiencing time in a variety of ways. We can, we can live in the past, present, and the future all at the same moment already, if you think about what our brains do. Yeah, uh, Einstein said that too. I think Einstein said that um, the universe is like a vinyl record and a human is just like the needle. Yes. Right? So yeah. there you are, and you're going around the record, and that's you experiencing time. Um, but when you get to the end of the record, the end of your life, it's not like the record ceases to exist. You just, it's not, it's not playing anymore. It's, it's done. Um, it's, on the, it's on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, this leads back to what we were talking about last week with the dreams where we were, we were saying, you know, we're trying to determine if dreams are a form of consciousness or not. And what we were saying is, okay, well, certain parts of your brain are just as active 
um, as if you were awake, but then there's certain parts of your brain that aren't. So you have certain mental faculties, but you're lacking other mental faculties. And then we said, okay, well, in a fully conscious state like you and I are right now, we're saying that we have all of our mental faculties. But do all of our mental faculties encompass um, the totality of mental faculties? No, we know that we don't see the full electromagnetic spectrum. We know we don't hear the full frequency spectrum. So there's other things happening that we're not perceiving. Um, And indeed, there's some things that based off of our electrical wiring, we could not comprehend. Um, So is, you know, why do, why do we insist on saying that what we're experiencing right now is, is fact, reality, or truth is it makes it sort of debatable. And this is another study I was reading yesterday where they were talking about, they're trying, it was a, it was actually a study on consciousness. And what they did is they had people stare at um, an X on the wall and then they took a playing card and put it out to the side of their vision. And then they flip it over and they ask them, uh, what suit is it? What color is it? What, you know, all this different stuff. What they found is like, unless it's dead center on that spot, people can't even identify what color the card is, much less what suit it is or how many um, clubs are on it or whatever the case may be. And, you know, there's, there's various um, theories for what's happening there. You know, some of them are um, an integration theory where it's saying, okay, well, the mind is perceiving all of the things in the visual field but it can only give characteristics to the things that are in its focus. So it's seeing the red on the card. It's seeing the diamond shapes. Yeah. It's seeing the A for, or, you know, it's seeing the four for the, you know, the four or whatever, but because it's not focusing on it, it can't give the redness, the quality to the thing. It can't give the diamond, the quality to the thing. We're right, seeing the right. diamond, the red and the four, but it can't give it meaning because it's not focused on it. This is um, and this, this is materialist, by the way. This is a materialist view. Uh, yeah, you're describing. And um, the study that that I was was reading, they found they rejected that because what they said is, okay, well, even though it's in the visual field, people can't identify even the color, even the most basic thing they can't pick up on. So it's not like it's a failure to integrate the mind seeing the red, but it can't give it. Um, you know, it can't say that it's a red four of diamonds. Mm-hmm. They're saying, no, you can't even see the red because um, I forgot the other part of it. There's three numbers outside of it as well. So there's like three numbers around the wall, a four, four, four. And so they told people to focus on the X, showed them the playing card, asked them what it was and whatnot. Then they went back afterwards, asked them various questions about it. What color was the card? What number was on the card? What suit was the card? And then, oh, hey, by the way, how many numbers were on the wall outside the card? And then ask people to gauge their confidence. And what they found is the majority of people said there was two numbers outside the card and they were very confident in it when there was actually three. And so they said, okay, well, it's not that they're perceiving all this stuff but not giving focus to it. The mind is actually excluding certain information, um, which denies the integration theory. Um, and they're using this sort of research to try to pin down what consciousness is. So we think about it as philosophy and as these questions that are never going to be answered. And, you know, I, I'm of the persuasion that they never will be in their totality. We're never going to completely pin it down. Um, but 
every day we're still learning more and more about some of these things that seem completely out of reach like what is consciousness you know we are we are and and that in itself to me when you you asked the question earlier about uh, essentially can i wrap my mind around the idea of the turtles stack of turtles going on infinitely uh, which is referencing for those who may find that a strange statement is referencing the idea that uh, of um, some aboriginal uh, ancient cultures uh, posit uh, various um, animals uh, on which the backs of the the back of the world sits and the foundations of the world in other words and but what you what you're talking about is a uh, a kind of infinity infinity of questioning which would imply an always presence of of, of a universal consciousness that makes it possible to infinitely question <laughs> There's no end to the questions. Therefore, perhaps there was no beginning to the questions either. Yeah, man, reality's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's um let's get back on track. Let's look at some of the other schools of monism so that we can kind of bring it together and actually discuss what I mean, okay. we have been discussing what the implications are for reality, but so we have a better picture of, of all the solutions. Okay, so, so we talked about when yeah, Substance dualism, property dualism, yeah. um, monism. How about physicalism? That's that's kind of our um, basic well, idea that the mind's the physical part of us, right? Yeah, right. So that and and that's what I uh, was mentioning a, a moment ago. That physicalism. Uh, uh, there's n the only reality is the physical world. It's a kind of it's it's a it's a materialism. In a sense that that uh, apart, uh, there's nothing apart from the material world. The material world counts for everything, including consciousness, which is a machine generating the, the viewpoint. So, when you want reality, it's here. I can tap the table. I know it's real. Uh, I, I can feel the the arthritis in my hands. I know that's real. I can I can pet my cat over here behind me because we all have cats when we talk in these days, and. <laughs> And and the cat said meow. I heard that. Therefore, it's real. <laughs> uh, so that's that's the materialist view. Uh, then there's the the phenomenalism, uh, phenomenology, which we've referenced before, which is this relationship between the subject, which would be us, uh, the subject being that which is doing the perceiving, and an object such as the cat, <laughs> uh, that we're interacting with and making some kind of sense of. Uh, and, and the phenomenalists uh, essentially say that only, uh, only mental objects exist, that we are essentially, uh, our body is nothing but uh, the perception of the mind. Uh, one of the uh, Bishop Berkeley was one of the people who who was talking about this interestingly, uh, and uh, so uh, there's been some there's been some research into this and some discussion of this. So phenomenalists uh, will, will approach uh, stroke victims who have lost parts uh, movement on the, the side of the body and uh, and look uh, because of the damage to the uh, one hemisphere or another. Um, and 
so people, some people who have that kind of damage, uh, and and can look in a mirror, uh, uh, moving their right and left hands equally well, uh, in in their sense of things in the mirror, even though it doesn't necessarily happen. Right. Yeah, and this is another one where there's some psychology stuff that is super fascinating. I remember watching a video one time of, um, it was another, I think it was a stroke victim, and they were asking her to, um, to draw a cat, and she drew half a cat. Hmm. And they were like, what, what do you think of it? Is, does it look good? Yeah, it looks real good and stuff. And then the researcher was like, do you see that there's only half a cat here? And she goes, Oh yeah, I must have forgot to draw the other half. <laughs> you know, so so she drew it and thought that the cat was complete. But then when it was, she, you drew attention to the fact that she only draw half of it. Then she said, "Oh wait, yeah, no, there's. A, I guess I must have forgot it." And she rationalizes away the fact that she hmm. thought it was a whole cat before. You know, yeah. so that yeah. idea of the mind, and especially how the mind works when you have some sort of damage to it, um, you know. That psychologically, it's fascinating. Um, phys- philosophically, that's not quite what we're talking about, right? We're talking more about this is really this is kind of the simulation theory, right? So we're saying that the mind is all there is, and our 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 mind is just simulating reality. You know, I'm not actually talking into a microphone or on a computer or anything. It's all just something my mind's kind of making up, right? That, 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 so the, in that sense, uh, the phrase "mind over matter." Uh, becomes almost irrelevant because then it's just mind. <laughs> the, the, the really vexing thing, one of the many vexing things about it is, is going back to what we said at the start, uh, I think, and that makes things happen. <laughs> so, uh, if I'm in a dream, going back to last week, my thinking, even in an unconscious way, is making things happen in some kind of strange, albeit non-linear narrative of whatever length, whatever images are coming in there. But the mind is is creating that. Uh, the, the, the strict behaviorists, and, and you've encountered this in your educational studies so so much, and something I've growled about over the years and you've been party to hearing that, but uh, that, that all we can psychologically ought to be concerned with is observable actions, uh, stimulus response, uh, cause effect uh, that, that you can't study uh, thought scientifically uh, terribly well. And, so objectively, that's just not a place that we should be going. Not not all psychologists suggest that, but but some do, and not all philosophers suggest that, but but some do, and 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 certainly the scientists, not just psychologists, but would say, well, right, we need to study what we can measure, what we can somehow see. Yeah, and so these are kind of um, you know diametrically opposed, right? So you have behaviorism where you're saying. All right, you know, essentially behaviors are kind of saying internal thought almost doesn't even exist. Like you're, you're just sort of a machine, you know, you're, you're a meat machine and, um, 
a lot of it's pretty deterministic. Like you probably don't even really have free will. Like you're just kind of, you know, stimulus is put in and then you're responding to it based off of, um, certain nature and nurture things that you've experienced throughout life. (laughs) And then we have phenomenology or idealism, which is saying, no, actually, you know, that physical stuff isn't, isn't really out there at all. Your mind's just creating it. And both of those sound just wrong to your normal <laughs> everyday experience. But so, but when you take the thought experiments to the extremes, um, they both have some measure of credibility, which is why um, very intelligent philosophers and psychologists have bought into the different camps over the years. Um, like you said, dreaming is is really the big one for that other one. I, I had a, a crazy dream last night where there was me and me and a group of four other people um, were on a guided um, cliffside trail being led by two um, Amish guys. So these Amish guys are leading us along this cliffside trail. There's a beautiful valley down on the side, cliff on the right. And about every hundred feet, there's a building built into the cliff. And you walk in and it's like a little museum sort of thing. And I can't remember most of what was in these buildings, but I remember one in particular where I walked into the building and it's this elaborate Rue Goldberg wooden um, structure. And what it is, is it's actually the BR guest scene from Beauty and the Beast made out of wooden sculpture. So the one Amish guy turns a crank and this wooden teapot on strings floats across the scene it bumps into a teacup and tips water into the teacup. The teacup fills up, comes down, lands on a plate. The plate raises it up into a wooden bell's mouth. Bell drinks it as the water drinks into her. It, it She sinks down, which causes a candlestick. And I woke <laughs> up and I was like, how did my mind make this happen? Like, this is something that would, I, you know remembering it in my dream, this is something that would take an engineer or a woodworker or something hundreds of hours to create and my mind just off the cuff with no conscious input from me was like oh here it is you know and the, <laughs> so when you look at that phenomenology or you know idealistically you think well if my mind can do that with no input from the outside world well that led some credence to it or if you look on sort of the reverse right let's say that um, i'm in a coma and have no conscious input at all and yeah. then i and then I physically die. Well, did I did I really die if there was nothing happening there in in the first place? So those kind of two things make you think, huh, well, maybe there's something to phenomenology. And then you look on the other side with um, physicalism, and um, that one's pretty self-explanatory. You think, okay, well, I've got this three pounds of you know, neuronal jelly in my head and there's an electrical current running through it. And that, that creates these, these things, you know, if you take the, if you take the magic out of it and you say, okay, well now it makes sense that an electrical current could run to an optic nerve and that certain frequencies of light, you know, could reflect these sorts of things. And my mind flips the image upside down and crosses it over and then integrates it with the sound and all the other stuff. Okay, well, yeah, it makes sense that that's just the way it runs and that there's nothing else, nothing weird about it, nothing else going on. <laughs> so these camps that are seem super extreme when you just look at them on the surface, 
you think about them a little bit deeper and you're like, no, I can kind of see people believe in either way that one of those is, you know, a legitimate thing to think. Uh, but yeah, and this is th- what—that's a fascinating dream, by the way. I, I, it, it, it all has all sorts of metaphorical possibilities. But I, <laughs> but I was enjoying the, the, the great detail of it, Joel. I, but but you, okay. So what this brings us to, in part, um, is what um, this, uh, Carl Rogers. I don't know if you probably have read Rogers in your studies uh, at some point or another. Um, he was a humanist psychologist and philosopher. Um, he he had a great issue with uh, mechanistic, uh, materialistic uh, monism. Uh, he said the subjective experiences are the only the only way we can study human behavior is through the subjective presentations of of what human beings tell us. So there's a kind of phenomenalism there. Uh, so so humanists like Rogers aren't saying that uh, they aren't denying that there's a real world that exists. But what they think is most important is every individual's uh, subjective and perhaps even unique uh, way to approaching that world. And and when we when we don't consider the sources of why that happens, or why it could be happening, or acknowledge that that there are all of these viewpoints about the. the so-called real world, then we have uh, a mess, basically, of 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 fragments. Going back to the shards idea, shards and fragments. I mean, think of our culture right now. Uh, we we have people who do not believe that COVID nineteen exists. Again, I'm locking our talk in time and space, aren't I? Uh, we have scientists who know that it does and have proven it to us. We we have people who say that it does, but that uh, God will protect them, and if they are meant to get it, they will get it, and so they won't use masks, and, 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 and. And, and Rogers would say, okay, that's a very individualistic, subjective approach to a reality. So it's it's like unto saying we have the capacity of creating our reality, and that may be far removed from the reality that actually exists. Yeah, no, that's a perfect example because, um, like you said, anybody who's living through this time has definitely experienced that. You know, there's, and and I think that's an important thing um, in making sense of this time is looking at it, you know, and, and I think everybody, everybody's saying to themselves, well, I can see what's really going on. Why can't everybody else see what's really going on? Mm-hmm. But that thought by itself should be enough to let you know that you don't really know what's going on. It's you have true. an assumption. You have an assumption, um, you, you know, everybody's drawing on um, different um different paradigms to try to determine what's happening. And some people are drawing on more reliable or established paradigms than others. Um, but, you know, even somebody who, um, I mean, you were the number one test study, right? So I think that I'm drawing off of all the right paradigms. 
if I didn't think I was, I would draw different ones. So I think I'm making all the right decisions, um, which is why, to me, it seems crazy that other people don't think the way that I do. But I, I have to admit that even if I'm, you know, you know, I could be 50% right, I could be 99% right. I don't know where I fall in there. You know, I think that I have it all right, but I'm, I'm missing some piece of the puzzle. Even yeah. it might be small, it might be big. I'm missing something. And I think that's what we need right now is for everybody to just step back and realize, okay, everything seems self-evident to me. I think that I'm drawing off of the most um, accurate paradigms. I think that I have all the information. I think that I'm interpreting all the information right. And I think I'm applying all the information right. But I'm not. (laughs) I'm missing something. You know, that's what we need is for everybody to just realize, you know what? Everybody's missing something here. Um, So maybe we should take a closer listen to what some other people are saying in order to kind of give ourselves a little bit of perspective but not yeah not be so bloody certain all the time a that we're right and b that our flawed perceptions in in, in a dualistic sense of uh, when we when we don't even even are even incapable we're not capable yet of determining what consciousness itself is. We ought not to be so blasted sure of so many, many other things. Uh, Bertrand Russell, do you ever, have you ever read him, Joel? Yeah. Yeah, right, right. I, I love, it's just amazing. There's a marvelous graphic of, it's not a novel, it's a graphic biography, essentially, of him that even the college library had, and I, I had to get it for myself because it was so good. But to, to read his philosophy, uh, primary documents, it's amazing. But you, when you described your uh, dream, and you talked about the teacup, and, and, <laughs> and that clicked with me uh, for Bertrand Russell. So I brought up a quotation I want to read to you because it, it, I think it pulls some of what we're talking about together. Russell says, if I were to suggest that between the Earth and Mars, there is a China teapot revolving about the sun in an elliptical orbit, nobody would be able to disprove my assertion, provided I were careful to add that the teapot is too small to be revealed even by our most powerful telescopes. But if I were to go on to say that since my assertion cannot be disproved, it is an intolerable presumption on the part of human reason to doubt my assertion, I should rightly be thought to be talking nonsense. You see, doubt is is terribly important, but but in balance with the rest of the things that we know. I'm not quoting him anymore, but I'm just if he says, if however the existence of that teapot were affirmed in ancient books, taught as a sacred truth, and instilled into the minds of children. Hesitation to believe in its existence would become a mark of eccentricity and entitle the doubter to the attention of the psychiatrist or the inquisitor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, so, I mean, that, that raises, that's a perfect encapsulation of how humans um, develop knowledge, right? It's not just scientific facts and, you know, all these things. Culture plays a huge part of it. And I think that. Um, what we're seeing in, in the day and age we currently live in is um, the influence of American culture on how people are determining their sources of knowledge, mm-hmm. for better or worse, or you know, for however you however you want to see it. Yeah. Um, 
but it's yeah, easy I mean, enough to step. It's easy enough to step away from that too, um, in the sense of of just go and, and read or listen to the British broadcasting system, or Deutsche Welle, which is the German news uh, system, and you find out just how not important one culture is when it's looked at through the eyes of another culture. Right. Yeah, that's I. I love reading articles from um, from overseas about mm-hmm. American culture because, yeah. um, you know, I think that a lot of people think that they know it'll be. Oh, they're going to describe us as a bunch of John Waynes who are idiots or whatever. <laughs> and it's not really like that. Some, you know, some of it is like that where you're like, ah, okay, yeah, this fierce individualism, bullheadishness. But then some of it, um, they'll they'll throw some things in there and you're like, ooh, I. I never really thought of that, but that's, that's pretty accurate or, mm-hmm. oh, wow. They kind of have that part of it totally wrong. That's a misconception on their part because they're not, they're not part of the culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's eye opening either way. Um, because the more habituated you are to a certain circumstance, the more, the less you start to critically examine your, the context that you're in, you know? Well said. Yeah. That's very well said. Um, and that, and that takes now. Now we're back to dualism in a very real, uh, very real <laughs> sense, um, because there's a thing called, and you've you've read about it because you read this. You're the one you sent me this article uh, from the Scientific America, this marvelous article uh, about uh, mind body and negative theology. And negative theology says that. Uh, it's only the things that you are unable to say about God or, a, or however one conceives of such things. Uh, some of those negative uh, things that can show that the existence is actually there uh, because it causes you to question your own fundamental self. Um, so are we mind? Are we matter? Are, are are we a combination? What if we're not any of those things? Then we go back to the simulation. Yeah, um, yeah, and this is this is we're we're bringing it back around full circle because you know we 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 just went over how hard it is to objectively look at something the more habituated you are to it. And nobody's habituated to anything more than their own consciousness. You've always had that um, throughout your whole life, and you've come to take it for granted. And what subjectively, your your subjectivity and your objectivity are overlapping, right? So you think that the things you're experiencing are objectively real, when in reality, that's your subjective experience. And this brings us into some of the other weird thought experiments in philosophy, where... Um, you know, things like you might not exist. I might be the only thing that exists or maybe none of us exist. And it's all a simulation or all this, this other stuff. And all of that stuff kind of challenges that the context of consciousness, you know, that the entire, um, the, the whole package, you know, um, so yeah, and, and we've talked about some of this in our very, I think it was the second episode we ever did. We talked about um we talked about God and specifically various, you know, various um kind of concepts for that. And some of that kind of draws along the same lines. Like 
you know, when we're talking about implications of some of the, the things we've looked at, dualism and monism for reality, we get into the simulations and, and panpsychism and stuff. And some of that is very similar to um, pandeism and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like we were saying, um, how, how you're sort of determining stuff or negative, negative theology, like you just mentioned, where, you know, it's, it's, it's an inverse way of doing things rather than starting with a story of, of God that's been culturally passed down, um, and not critically examining it through a scientific lens you're doing the opposite you, you start with zero assumptions and then you yeah. take the things that you know and you take the things that you know and subtract the things that you can't explain and then you have an area where where something like that can exist mm-hmm. and um the thing that's interesting about that is that it seems like that is always going to exist no matter how good science gets there's always going to be a spot where it can't answer questions and that's where that the philosophy and and some of the the negative theology or the mysticism i know whatever your way you're looking at it that's where that kind of lives you know yeah yeah the article you sent me and 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 you've said really really well and i don't know if you know you've even tread into this but um what what david chalmers uh the philosopher uh, was saying uh, he he draws he draws from a a, a recognizably uh, 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 Christian illusion that he's an atheist, but he still draws it. He says, "How does the water of the brain turn into the wine of consciousness?" Yeah. And he says, "Asks why should there be consciousness at all?" Uh, you know, from a from an objective viewpoint, consciousness is utterly unnecessary. <laughs> yeah i mean and we all think about that you know everybody everybody knows by this point my one of my favorite things to bring in is is the animal thought experiments into yeah. our questions right yeah. because that's always going to be a fascinating topic because we don't know what measure of consciousness they have we it's impossible to discern because like you said we have the water of of their brain, their mind, you know, what, what's, what's happening electrically, but we can't explain our own conscious perceptions. So we can't even begin to describe theirs. One thing that I was talking about with, um, with my wife the other days, when I'm sleeping, our one cat will stay away from me. When I wake up, he'll always come and lay on my chest. Now there's times where there's, there's no discernible way to know I'm awake. I'll wake up, but I won't open my eyes. I won't move. I'll even keep my breathing the same, hoping that I'll be able to fall back asleep. You know, there's no way to know I'm awake, but at the second that I, my consciousness opens up, I feel him stand up, walk over and he comes and sits on my chest. And it makes you wonder, well, what, what is his experience that allows him to do that? Is he, is he able to see into some wavelength and he can sense the heat of my body rising or <laughs> can he hear some frequency as, as my brain waves shift or what is it? He might be sensing something completely different than I can even imagine that lets him know I'm awake, you know? Yep. And so the conscious experience of, of animals, you know, is, is kind of a weird thing. And I just like using that as an example to think, 
man, like how weird is this? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we can't even understand the conscious. We can't understand our own consciousness yet. We don't have a theory of consciousness yet that, that it has any kind of totality to it. Uh, and you know what? This is where as a philosophy podcast, I get really excited, you know, cause I think that there's, there's two reactions to this sort of thing, right? There's, um, fear and uncertainty, a cognitive dissonance, you know, or there's an excitement, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, and it depends on your, your sort of paradigm. If you like to think that we live at the height of, um, you know, human accomplishments and that, you know, things aren't, aren't going to change. Um, it's scary. Um, but if you place us in the context of history and human development and you see, man, there's so many things that we don't know and so many other things that there are to explore. Um, yeah. It gets yeah. real exciting, you know? <laughs> like, it, it does. Maybe I can be the one to come up with a theory <laughs> of consciousness, you know? Maybe maybe if I look into it some and I, I gain enough knowledge, I'll have some way of figuring this out. Mm-hmm. But you know, with the understanding that as soon as you figure that out, there's going to be three other questions that pop out of it, right? There, you know, There will be, and that's because it's coming from the consciousness of other beings, each of which is unique to that being. So there's never going to be an end to questions. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been great. I think this is going to lead us into um, a lot of other interesting topics. So, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody. You know, we're, um, we're separate again. We're not in the studio. You can probably tell by the audio quality. Um, COVID cases in our region have, have really spiked. So we're going over distance. Um, hopefully we can get you a, a good enough quality that you, you don't mind sitting through the podcast. And um, bear with us a little bit, and once once things settle down, we'll be back in the studio and uh, and good to go. Yeah. But in the meantime, we yeah. In the meantime, we look forward to continuing to have some of these these great conversations over distance. So uh, thanks for thanks for being with me, Norm. And uh, until next time, keep pondering, everybody.